We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 116. You may or may not be able to tell that my voice is a little hoarse. Scott, I was screaming my ass off over that Super Bowl Patriots win on Sunday night. I know this is going to piss a lot of fans of this podcast off. It's going to piss you off, but I could not help but get excited about that unbelievable game. Yeah, I think what a lot of people might not know, if, if there's any newer listeners to the show, is that you grew up in in Rhode Island. Your father uh, made you a Yankees fan, so it was kind of uh, you know osmosis at that point. You were you were taught, but you were living in Patriots country at that point, and you became a very big Patriots fan. Yeah, I'm a Jets fan, as you know. It's it's sad, but um, I, I'm more of the tri-state sports crowd and. I, I'm a little jealous. I got to be honest. I'm a, I'm a little I'm jealous. Slightly spoiled as a sports fan. Yes, you are. Uh, you know, I think up until last night, the majority of the my hatred 
was going towards the Patriots, and I think now it's really just directed at the Patriots fans. <laughs> that's that's where that's where I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't blame you on that. <laughs> I mean, regardless, if you're a Patriots fan, I mean, the thing is, you're either a Patriots fan or a Patriots hater. There's there's no real middle ground. Uh, it seems like for a lot of football fans, but that game was that was the wildest football game I've ever seen. Whether or not you're a Patriots fan or not. Yeah, I mean, it was the biggest comeback in, in Super Bowl history. The The fact that the Falcons didn't do anything after that, I guess they scored in the first uh, or the second drive of their second half, right? And then yeah. nothing. I mean, I just mean, that's it at was that just, point, 28 to 3. I'm, game I over. I have a bunch of friends over. Half yeah. of them are Patriots fans. We're looking at each other like, all right, this is going to be a long second half, but let's just I, try and let's just hopefully the clock goes fast and they don't lose by 40. And every other fan of any other team was sending text messages to anybody they knew oh, that was yeah. a Patriots fan at that point. It was brutal. And now we're all eating our own shit because I, you. I did the same thing. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't do it. You, I looked, tweeted, the, me. you tweeted from... Uh, no, I sent on Bronx pinstripes. All I was doing was saying <laughs> that someone who played for the Falcons played for the Yankees. So yes. obviously we had to, you know, root for, for primetime and Dion. It was a, it was a very... Uh, natural move. It wasn't. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary. And New York team, of course, we're going to root against the Boston team. Of course. So, I did think the uh, video you tweeted and put on Instagram of Jimmy Larritz going yard in '96 World Series was against Atlanta was fitting. Yeah, thank you. I, How wild is it that Atlanta's '95 World Series is their that city's only championship? I didn't even realize that in all either. honesty until I saw. This happened, and the first thing that came to my mind was 96. So I went out and was like looking for that gif everywhere, and I finally got it. And uh, I'm thankful for the Patriots win so I could send that out because that felt good to send that out, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and I do have some fans that are uh, some buddies that are Falcons fans from Atlanta. So I was giving them endless shit because literally, this is, you know, that's, that's destroying as a fan. Like, I don't know how you come back from that. That's like, that's, that's nine, that's uh, 2004 for us. That's basically yeah. what that is. Yeah. It was um, a 2000. I don't. I still think 2004 will forever be the worst collapse in sports history. But this is this is up there. It's got to be up there. And the poor owner Arthur Blank and his wife just on the sidelines, looking like they want to die at the end. Yeah, I I couldn't help but laugh that because they showed him in the first half and they were going bonkers and then they just look catatonic on the sideline. That's why you don't go down to the sideline. George Steinbrenner would never have done that. He was always so fearful of a jinx. He wouldn't even let anyone in the Yankees clubhouse, never mind go on uh, on the sidelines or anything like that. You know, Matt Ryan was the, he finally, he showed, this is exactly who I thought Matt Ryan was. Everybody's like, oh, Matt Ryan, MVP, greatest, greatest uh, year of his career and all this stuff. I'm like, Matty Ice. I'm like, show it to me, please. You know, Matty Ice came from Boston College though. Matty Ice did not develop in Atlanta. So Do when you, you know your, why they when you get your college, <laughs> when you get your college uh, nickname and it moves to the pros and it's just like, everybody just assumes that that's what you are, but he's not. I don't know the story behind it, but I know it came from Boston College. Yes. So you'd, you'd think Matty Ice meaning clutch, right? Ice water yeah. in his veins? No, it's because he used to drink natural ice. Are you in that's, college? That I, was his oh, beer, see, I didn't even know his, that until right now. Yeah, that was his beer of choice. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so it wasn't even that he was clutch. It's just that he liked to get uh, shit faced on Natty Ice. That has so it has nothing to do with his performance on the field. No, I'm sure. I mean, somewhat because he was a great quarterback in college. But it, yeah. his friends called him Matty Ice because it sounds like Natty Ice, and he loved Natty Ice. Wow, 
So first of all, I'm judging him for enjoying Natty Ice because it's terrible. Oh, we all enjoyed but, it at one point. So, you know, sophomore year of college. Oh, never the ice. Never the ice. Yeah, it was deadly. But uh, yeah, that's it's just uh, it's it's terrible when you look at what happened. And I, I, I just, you know, when they when they came back and they came within a touchdown, I'm like, this is it. They're, they're going to win this game. I mean, there's oh, no doubt is. about it. You cannot stop what's happening right now. And Natty Ice is shook. I mean, that whole team is just like, what just happened? Their center is on like one leg. He probably can't move it at this point at the end of the game uh, with a fractured fibula or whatever he had. Like, it's just bad news. You cannot stop this train that's happening. And Belichick and Brady are, they're going to crush you. And they did. The, uh, it was an idle freight train in the first half for the Patriots, and then that little stone got kicked out from underneath the wheel, and they got rolling. And by the time the last drive of the game, they were going a million miles an hour. Atlanta had no shot in overtime. Oh no, no, they had to get the ball. I knew as soon as they got the ball, it was over. It was. Uh, I was waiting for who? Who's number eighteen? Who's the guy who had the the toss? Had it the, wasn't. The J- toss? I thought it was James White who called the coin toss. Oh, uh, it was eighteen. I don't know who that is. I think. Okay, whatever. He was like, I got the ball. I was waiting for like, I got the ball and we're going to win type of, I was waiting for something. I'm like, I'm like, give me something stupid, please. We'll take, we'll take the trophy. Yeah, give me something stupid. How about Roger right. getting booed? Booed out of bad. town. See, that was the silver lining, I think. You know, as much as I don't like the Patriots, I, the whole deflategate thing to me is ridiculous. As long as I, I mean, I'll always talk about the fact that he's a cheater and all this because it's part of my, my defense. It's a defense mechanism, right? So I'll, I'll always use it. But I'm kind of joking at the same time because it's so stupid. Right. And the fact that... At least you that, acknowledge that. It is. It's ridiculous. They, everybody does something like that. It's, it's so ridiculous. You know, don't lie about it, though. Just, just own up to it. That was the dumb part on their part. Anyway, the, uh, the fact that Goodell got, got all of that and it was just literally just like shoving it directly at him. I think was, that uh, might be the loudest boo I've ever heard in sports. Yeah, it was pretty loud. And then, and then uh, what's his face? Kraft. Yeah, just basically gave it right to him, and as soon as he started opening his mouth, and <laughs> it was bad. I mean, and then uh, Brady filmed that commercial. Yeah, the, I saw the commercial afterwards. Yeah, well, that's a local a, commercial that went that went viral. But that yeah, that is a local commercial. Yeah, yeah, but that's I mean, he was mocked for that commercial, the original version of that commercial when it's just the four rings because it's horrible. He's he's not you know, say what you want about uh, Peyton versus Brady, Peyton was a funny actor. He was great when he was on SNL. He did uh, hilarious commercials. Brady is not on the level of acting as Peyton. So it was kind of like awkward. So he was kind of mocked for those commercials. But one thing I've noticed about Brady is that you don't see Brady on the national spotlight very often, but when you go up into the Boston area, he's on billboards, he's on commercials, he's all over the place locally. Him, Gronk, and David Ortiz. Yeah, and Edelman. Edelman seems like he's on a lot of stuff too, but he's, he's actually on national stuff as well. But they, uh, he, so they, I think they have more of a, a, a prominence locally in advertising and marketing, whereas they do national. So I don't know, you know, whatever. The, there's, it's indisputable how, how good he is and how good Belichick is. It's, it's just, it cannot be denied. It just can't be. So, oh, no, that kind of takes some of the, the wind out of my sails. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's, that's also a little bit, I, I'm, I'm happy that like now there's no, nobody can get angry about it because it's pretty much indisputable at this point. The only thing anybody ever says is Montana didn't lose a Super Bowl. Yeah, that, that true. But now, uh, now they have five. So, and yeah, it's not like they're. Doesn't seem like they're going to be done anytime soon. Oh, that's um, the worst. That's the worst part. <laughs> uh, I do want to make. I tweeted this out after the game. Some 
I compared the Patriots to those 90, 96 to oh, oh 03, I guess, Yankees teams where yeah. they would just pull wins out of their ass that you thought they were dead in the water. Um, and that's what that game was in the Super Bowl. And I know a lot of fans probably hate me right now. A lot of listeners of our podcast are like, Andrew, shut the hell up. But it's undeniable. There are some comparisons to be made there. Yeah, I mean, just looking at Brader, uh, Brady, uh, Brader, I said, Brady and Jeter, um, you know, they're, 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 they're similar, I think, in like sports figures, kind of the way that they've handled each other, you know, each career individually off the field as well. They've always been relatively quiet and I think very PC. So I think they've, they draw comparisons in that way and they're both the, the leadership of those teams. So, you know, I think the comparison is pretty natural. Absolutely. All right, let's move on from the Super Bowl. I promise we will be talking baseball in this podcast. Hey, guess who's back? Burnt out attorney, Empire Squire. He gives us a stat for episode 116. I don't think we've had this since before we reached 100. But he says, for episode 116, Hideki Matsui, and I guess Matsui has a Twitter account. I did not know that. At M55Baseball's 2005 RBI total was 116. It was Godzilla's career high in pinstripes. Love it. Burnt out attorney bringing the stats back. Yeah, he says he's back. So there was a little, little bit of an where, off I don't know where he went, but. It was off season. You know, he had to, I guess, to, to take care of his body and take care of his mind, make sure he was all right for the upcoming season. So it's, I guess he's uh, now is picking the ball back up and starting to uh, get ready for the season. So I appreciate it. I think it adds a very nice element of statistics to the beginning of our show. Absolutely, and it's a perfect segue to our fan shop 25% off coupon for the week. The code will be Godzilla in honor of Matsui and uh, his 116 RBIs. So again, get 25% off for the next week in the fan shop using code Godzilla. And we will be giving out a new code every week on this podcast. Scott, you getting excited for March 24th and 25th? I feel that now that the Super Bowl is behind us, I'm really starting to look forward to baseball season, and I it's it's a month and a half away, and we'll be in Tampa for spring training. Yeah, definitely. I think the Super Bowl is kind of the 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 very soft closing or hard closing of of football, and then a, a soft opening for baseball because our you know our minds and our brains are starting to go towards baseball now. It's the next thing, unless you're looking at at horrible New York New Jersey basketball. Or you're watching hockey, which I don't watch hockey anymore, so I have no idea what's happening there. Um, but yeah, this it's it's baseball season as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's it's ready to go. Um, I'm really excited for this year. There are two seasons in my sports life: baseball and football. Yeah, me too. At this point now, yeah. But March 25th and 20 March 24th and 25th is when we will be in Tampa. That's Friday and Saturday. We'll be at both of those games, uh, and then Andrew and I will both be leaving Tampa on Sunday. So if you are planning on going down to spring training, definitely try to work it around 24th to 25th. We're our, we are going to set up a, an event for you know Friday night, Saturday night, one of the two, if not both. And uh, we're going to get together uh, with all the guys that are guys and girls who are going down there. I've heard from some, some, some girls who are going down there. I've heard from some guys who are going down there and going to meet up. So it's, it's definitely making me more excited that a lot of our, uh, a lot of the people listening to the podcast are going to be going down there and joining us too. So that'll be a lot of fun. Hell yeah. I'm looking forward to meeting some of the people. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, over the next couple of weeks, we will decide on a location on an exact date and time, and we'll be sharing those details. So so definitely keep an eye out for that. 
Uh, the 61 movie podcast is going to happen, despite what some people think. Uh, both uh, Scott and I have watched the movie. It's just a matter of finding some time to record it. Um, so hopefully we'll get to that later this week, and it'll be out soon after. So uh, again, send in some tweets, mailbags, if you want to watch the movie and contribute to the podcast. All right, so last week I talked about The Last Night of the Yankees Dynasty, which was about uh, Buster Olney's book about 2001. I finished it. Uh, it's a quick read, so definitely uh, recommend the read. It's, a, it's got a lot of good uh, nuggets of information about the 1990s Yankees. A lot of pictures? Uh, not many pictures. There's a few pictures. but uh, what's, what's a quick read for you? Are we talking like 250, 200 pages? I don't know. It took me a week to read, of just commuting to and from work. It was, I think it's like 330 pages. Okay, that's like three months for me. <laughs> yeah, but it's, that's a solid two to three months. It's uh, it's like there's nothing too intense in there. You're just kind of breezing through it. Yeah, I got you. Um, I want to talk about Steinbrenner though, and I understand that this a lot of it is probably Buster's opinion on Steinbrenner, but he kind of uh, he was hard on Steinbrenner, especially towards the end of the book. He kind of sets it up where Steinbrenner caused the Yankees to be horse shit in the '80s. And then he left baseball and let uh, uh, Stick Michael and Cashman take over. And that's why the Yankees 90s dynasty happened. And then after the 01 collapse, not collapse, the 01 loss to the Diamondbacks in game seven, Steinbrenner again stepped up and said, this is not happening again. I'm taking over and started to make a lot of the decisions like trading for Raul Mondesi, not signing Andy Pettit, um, letting David Wells go. Uh, bringing in Gary Sheffield instead of Vlad Guerrero, and we found ourselves in a similar situation, not like the 80s because those Yankees teams in the 2003 to 2008 were still good, but they didn't even win a playoff series. So it kind of was eye-opening to see that if Steinbrenner really did have a heavy hand in that, maybe we have to change our opinion on how good of an owner he is. Well, you know, I think that it's not... It's not a, it's not an unknown that Steinbrenner liked his flashy, his flashy toys, right? So he was always looking to go out and get the next guy, and I think a lot of that had to do with his business acumen, where he wanted to bring in uh, butts in the seats to see this flashy guy. It's more of a marketing thing. He he definitely wasn't. I mean, he was never known for being a baseball guy on the field, as far as the X's and O's and and knowing what to do um, and how to bring in these pieces. So I, I think that that part of his legacy is, is kind of always there. There's always a, there's a little bit of a Jerry Jones thing going on, right? Where, where there was, there was sometimes too much meddling, but when he, when he backs up a little bit and lets the people, the baseball people do their jobs, you start seeing different results. And that's what happened when stick Michael was there. Um, and then Cashman early on. So I, I don't know if that's so much of an unknown, but you know, I think you you hear about it most when you're talking about the 80s, you know, and like the very early, you know, probably the 80s the most. Yeah. You don't hear much more about that after 2000. Me neither. And I yeah. knew about all the 80s stuff and the whole right. Dave Winfield mess and, and bringing in a bunch of free agents that didn't really fit together. Um, I, I thought he was still out of it after 2001. I did not realize he had that much say in the early 2000s. I thought that was he, he was still taking a back seat. But do you think that's a lot of speculation on what happened uh, from Buster only? No, I mean, he interviewed over 100 people for this book. He said in the end, he listed all the people he interviewed. This is direct, you know, direct information. I mean, he was covering the team for, for a decade. Right. Yeah, no, that's interesting as far as, you know, how the decisions were made at that time. So I don't know, man. I, I think um, 
like like I said, I think Steinbrenner was an owner who demanded greatness from his team, and we saw the best results when the baseball people made the baseball decisions. Absolutely, and then all of a sudden, Buster all, uh, also wrote that he uh, that Brian Cashman tried to quit multiple times in, in the early two thousands, and he wasn't allowed. He, he just didn't let him happen. Well, it was sort of like after after. Um, 2000 his contract was up after 2003 and he wanted out he signed on for one more year and then after 04 he definitely wanted out but but I guess the Yankees had an option on his contract which I didn't know was possible for GMs and they picked it up so he had to come back for 2005 well that's the worst you got to go back and be the general manager of the New York Yankees damn it well I think if you look at before and after pictures of of Cashman Back in like 1998 versus uh, 2005, he, it w- it might have been seven years, but he aged about 17 years. Yeah, yeah, definitely a high stress job for sure. Yeah, it's like those before and after pictures of Obama in the presidency. Right. Um, I yeah, it was a good read. That was a fun read. Uh, maybe I can I'll let you borrow my copy when we're down in spring training. Sweet. And you can give it back to me four years later. <laughs> yeah, without reading the whole thing, probably. <laughs> um. Not really much going on. Uh, we're sort of in the uh, qu- uh, quiet before the storm, right? Pitchers and catchers yeah. are reporting in about a week from now. Um, I think the Yankees report on the on Valentine's Day, right? The 14th, 14th, yeah. yeah. Yep. So uh, um, that's next Tuesday. Uh, so we'll start to get a lot more stories, I think, coming out then. But until then, it's kind of quiet. I was kind of just bored at work one day going through some of the baseball websites, like fan graphs or baseball reference or name any of the ones that you like. And I came upon um, team war projections from fan graphs and it kind of, I never really thought, uh, I know you love when I, when I start to bring up the saber metrics. Yeah. Let's, let's, stuff. let's get nerdy. Let's do it. Let's, yeah. let's dive in. So I, I never, obviously war for a single player. It's like a, an overall statistic that measures how good the player is, their worth to the team. I never really thought about it from a team perspective. When you add up all of the positions, what does your team war equal? And I was shocked to find out how high, highly ranked the Yankees were, according to Fangrass. Fangrass ranked them eighth in, in all of majors. So only behind the Dodgers, the Cubs, the Red Sox, the Indians, the Nationals, the Astros, and the Giants. All playoff teams last year, with the exception of the Astros, but we think the Astros are going to be one of the best teams in the American League this year. So there's those seven teams, and then the Yankees are eighth. I was shocked to see that. Yeah, you definitely, when you think about the teams in all of baseball, and you're thinking of rankings and who's going to be there, I I wouldn't say the majority of people would put the Yankees eighth, which is in In the the playoffs. playoffs That's in the playoffs. Yeah, Yeah. there's six division winners and then then, uh, two more. So, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Well, I'm curious to what you're about to say, you know, like what, what kind of how they got to this point. Yeah. And, and it seems like just, just off the top, when you're saying that they're eighth, it seems like they're being very, very friendly with these, uh, these pro- with the projections. It seems like so, they're being very much on the high side of a lot of these guys, which, you know, we know is we're, we're walking into another one of these seasons where, you know, everything's got to go right. And it sounds like Fangraphs thinks things are going to go right. <laughs> You could look at it that way, but I think what it what it speaks to is the Yankees' overall depth, one through twenty five on the roster, and maybe they don't have they definitely don't have the Mike Trout superstar or the ace uh, 
you know, Chris Sale pitcher or something like that that's going to or Clayton Kershaw pitcher that's going to give you the really high war, but they have a lot of positions that are 2 to 4 war for and that adds up. So when you look catcher is their highest ranked position, which obviously you, you they are projecting Gary Sanchez to have a monster year, but shortstop's 2.5, third base is 2.4, which I laughed at. Uh, left field and center field are, are both two, so those sort of add up, um, and you get to a point where they've got 40.3 war. Um, one thing that I did notice, though, is that they their bullpen does account for quite a bit of that, and that worries me because... Uh, Dellen Batances, Heraldus Chapman, Tyler Clippard, they're going to rack up the wars, but that doesn't necessarily mean your team is playing well because that could mean they're pitching a lot of innings because the starters aren't going deep in games. So just because a relief pitcher is racking up war does not mean they're winning games. Right, so we're walking into a situation that we did similar to last year where the big question marks are on the rotation we have this monster in the back of the bullpen. This year, it's not quite the monster, but it's extremely formidable. You know, it's a it's a good it's a good back of the bullpen. It's a the middle relief will probably be better this year, uh, but the big question mark is the starting rotation once again. Yep. Yeah, they ranked third best bullpen on Fangraphs behind the Dodgers and the Indians, um, and obviously the Indians have Miller. The Dodgers have uh, uh, Jansen. So those are all. All great relief pitchers as well, and the Yankees are third rate behind them. But then you look at their starting rotation, and it, it's it's far from the top. Yeah, well, there's just, there's a lot of unknown in our rotation. This, again, when we when we talk about the projections and when we look forward to what is going to happen in 2017, we're always talking about well, if this goes right, if this goes right, if this goes right, and it's kind of similar to last year. Only last year we were really more talking about injuries if people would say healthy. This year is like, well, people got to take that next step. If this guy takes that next step, if, if this guy stays um, you know, true to what he was last year, then, then the Yankees could be this. So there's just a lot of unknowns because I think now, whereas before it was injuries, now it's just a lot of short careers that we don't really have a mean for at this point you know so well, we have I like to it have, better they have to play more oh it's more fun no doubt because instead you're of, not dealing with old guys <laughs> instead of it's like a ha- uh, glass half full or glass half empty kind, yeah. kind of thing instead of uh rooting or holding your breath to make sure injuries don't happen you're just rooting for a guy to keep progressing and become a good player yeah oh by far it's more fun as a fan there's no doubt about that our expectations are lower so we can only get more excited instead of disappointed that's what's fun. That's why that's why we've been trying to tell everybody listening to the show to temper the expectations. Let's get them adjusted and lowered so that we can all be very excited when they exceed them. And if they don't for you know, if if they don't, if that if that does happen, then you know, we'll be we'll be ready for it. So it's, why a, do you it's think, a really good mindset. Why do you think August and September of last year was so much fun? Yeah, because it was zero, unexpected. Zero expectations and we they we could just enjoy the team winning um, without without the the pressure of uh, all those old players on the roster. So, I I think though there is something to be to be said for the one through twenty five, and they're even projecting into the minor league system because they go three deep on a lot of these depth charts. So it's really one through forty. It's really the forty man roster for the Yankees is pretty deep, a, a lot deeper than a lot of teams. The only thing I'll say about about this like overall war thing, and if and maybe I'm way off just because these numbers you know make me crazy, but it seems like a lot of other player uh, if other teams have 
you know, better players at certain positions and then their, their backups aren't very good. That kind of averages it out. Whereas the Yankees, you know, I think it's, it's a lot closer. If you're looking at the the starter and then the guys behind the starters on the Yankees uh, depth chart, it's a lot closer in talent. It's a lot closer in numbers than if you're to get like these perennial starters for years and years on some of these other teams, because there's so many new and young players. So that's a good, I don't know. I don't know if that like averages it out and then, and then makes the war higher because the backups are maybe a little bit better than backups on other teams that have higher caliber starting players. That's a, yeah, that's a great point. And that's why this is not a perfect, um, this is not a perfect statistic to look at. Um, I, it's, it does not translate directly to win loss record, uh, clearly because um i'm sure a lot of these predictions will be wrong but it it, i was surprised to see the yankees near the top of the league versus in the middle or in the lower third which is where i expected them to be yeah but you know what it's february and predictions are what we have to work with and that's what we're gonna do we're gonna go through all (laughs) sorts the amount of predictions over the next month are gonna make your head spin and uh we're going to I'm going to dig up all sorts of stats to make you pissed off about projections <laughs> for this season. I'm, I'm sure I'll find one next week that says the Yankees will be the eighth worst team in the league. Yeah, I'm sure it exists. It's, it's some ridiculous acronym that uh, that somebody made up in some basement. Uh, only uh, only the Giants, though, are projected to have higher war at catcher. Obviously, Buster Posey. Buster Posey. Yeah. So that's a lot. I mean, that's that's a lot of respect for a guy that only played, you know, <laughs> 50 games. less than half of a season. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of respect. Hey, speaking of Sanchez, um, I so we we met we talked about the World Baseball Classic last week, but I guess he has not. He has still he's still TBD on the Dominican uh, World Baseball Classic team, so Sanchez might play for them. Yeah, I mean, when we were talking about that, and we didn't really have an answer from Sanchez, I was, I was curious about that because we you know how we talked about the Dominican and like Venezuela. These teams are very, very, uh, they're extremely patriotic and they have a lot of, they have a lot of, uh, you know, belief in their, in their country and that team. And I was surprised that the powers that be and the other guys on that team didn't recruit him to play. I would really like to see him put the pressure on. Yeah. I'd really like to see him stick in camp though and work with the pitchers. Oh, no doubt. Like I said before, (laughs) I want every Yankee to not play. I mean, it's totally selfish because I don't want any injuries. I want them to get as much work with their own guys, especially a catcher and the young pitching staff that we have. Look, Sanchez seems like a a grizzly vet, the way he handles himself. He seems like he's beyond his years as far as maturity and the way he approaches the game. So I I have a little bit of faith that he's going to make the right decision and realize that, that, yes, this time in the you know in the spring spring training with the the young pitchers and with the rest of the team is extremely important uh, because he's got to be a leader on this team. So I I kind of feel like he knows that. I yeah I mean I hope he knows that. I mean this spring doesn't training, it feel like that he knows that though doesn't it? Don't you like when you look at him and you hear everything like he is Gary. Of course he knows that. <laughs> Wouldn't you say this spring training it might be the the most important for the Yankees in years maybe since two thousand nine when they brought in all those new players. Yeah, there's a lot of new faces this year. There's a lot of new faces, no doubt. And some of the old faces are now are now uh, tra- are teachers. They're, all the old, they're all coming the old in. They're instructors. There's no I mean, more old I mean faces. some of the, I mean some of the old faces from last year are oh. now are instructors. Yeah, I mean, when after Jeter left or, or after Mo left, you still had Jeter and A Rod and Teixeira. Then right. Jeter left, you still had A Rod and Teixeira, and now both yep. those guys are gone. So and McCann's no longer there. I mean. 
Yeah, Gardy's the old head. <laughs> Gardner's the old veteran. Ellsbury, I don't think he can open his mouth and talk, so he's not going to be yeah. saying anything. He's not a Yankee. Um, you, you'd expect Starling, guys like Starling Castro and, and Didi. I know Didi's playing for for the Dutch, but I mean, how many Dutch baseball players are there? I feel like Didi's the yeah, like best how long player. are they? How long are they going to be in the WBC? Maybe that's part of the decision. Like <laughs> we might only play like two games. Was it double elimination? So they'll make I don't it, even uh, know two games. Yeah, they're not going to be very. They're not going to go very far. But if uh, DD, I'm pretty confident uh, he's been there two years and he he's a position player. The catcher position makes it that much more important that you're there in camp. Yeah, and you know what the the um, the presence of like Starling Castro and and Sanchez and uh, you know some of these other the Hispanic players that that. You know, when Starling Castro was in Chicago and he had that song, if you remember, and the whole place went nuts. And we were really hoping that he was going to bring that over with him and like, you know, have the, the stadium go nuts uh, when when he comes up. I don't know. I feel like maybe there's going to be a little bit more of excitement from from like Castro, who might take on more of a leadership role. Didi was a fun guy. I feel like there's going to be that that exuberance, more of an excitement in the in the clubhouse. One that we haven't seen in a long time, even that young team in 96. It wasn't like these big, these flashy guys who had a little bit more excitement. I think this team is very different in that sense. So I think we're going to see some some uh, some different leadership styles than we've seen in a long time on this team. Gary seems to want the leadership role. Think about he's very he's silent. He's 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 a quiet guy. It seems no, but um, think about last year. He was tweeting and saying publicly that he, yes, he he believes in this team. No one is be- is believing in them, but he was speaking out saying that we can still make the playoffs. When have you ever seen a, a rookie who was in the major leagues for a couple weeks at that point say something like that? Well, yeah, and I think this is, I mean, you have social media now who's, these guys are all very comfortable in social media. They know what they're doing, and I think this is the first wave of that, right, of those guys who are extremely comfortable, who grew up with it, and we're going to see different, we've already seen how these guys interact differently on social media than any other Yankees team ever, uh, and and that just comes with the time, I think, and the generation. Um, but I don't know in, in like in person, he seems like more of a stoic, uh, you know, lead by example type guy. I, I know he comes on and says the right thing on Twitter and things like that. And that's cool. I, I do appreciate that. Um, it, it definitely, jo- you know, makes the, the fan base go nuts. Uh, but in the clubhouse, in the field, I'm, I'm, I think he, he, I don't know for me from looking on the outside in, he seems more of like that stoic, you know, lead by example guy. Yeah. We don't know what's going on in the clubhouse, obviously. Right. That's true. <laughs> um, all right, you ready to get into some mailbags? Not really many other Yankees topics, unless you've got something that you wanna you wanna spitball here. No, I think uh, I think we've we've covered a lot of these. We've pretty much covered everything. I mean, if I'm if, if we're gonna you know, I mean, the first mailbag is also something we've covered, but we're gonna talk about it anyway. Uh, well, there's a little angle to it, but yeah, yeah. we're uh, we've been going strong every week in the off season, and pretty much the only Yankees podcast I think out there that's doing that. So we have certainly talked about everything there is to talk about. So if you haven't given us a five-star rating and review in iTunes, considering we have done this every single week in the offseason, hint, hint, this is, a, this is a very good opportunity for you to go and say, you know, these guys are, are, are awesome. We love them. Please, we always, we always appreciate that. Five-star reviews in iTunes. Anytime you want to do that, we always appreciate it. Do you remember when we were going into the offseason the first time and we were worried that we were only going to get to maybe do like 15, 20 minute podcasts because there'd be nothing to talk about? Yeah. I think at this time, we now, we first when we start the show, we just like start going on tangents. And then, uh, I don't know, you and I have done this so many times that we, we, we seem to 
run, you know, go down rabbit holes quite often. We've done it 116 times plus one of the lost footage from spring training. Yeah. Pour one out for that. Pour <laughs> one out for my homie on that one. That was a, that was a tough episode. Uh, all right. First mailbag comes from John Preston from the sticks of Idaho. He says, if Gliber Torres is the real deal in a perfect world, how would you like to see his call up to the bigs handled? What position do you want him to play since there are talks of moving him to uh, moving him from shortstop? And when would you like to see him called up? Personally, I'd like to see Headley traded and then move Starlin or Gliber to third. But I wanted to know your thoughts. Keep up the great work. I love listening to the show. So, uh, yes, we have talked about this. Um, I know we talked about Gliber in depth and about uh, his whole transition around the infield maybe three weeks ago. Maybe there's some new listeners since then. But uh, it's a first-world problem to have to deal with (laughs) such a high prospect coming up that we just don't know where we can fit him into the lineup. That's a really good problem to have. So I'm not really going to worry about it until the time comes that we need to fit Gliber into the lineup and there's nowhere to put him. That would be awesome if that's how it works out. Look, there's no doubt about it. You're absolutely right. If you're looking for some more information on him, uh, one of our one of our new guys writing on Bronx Pinstripes, Adam English, actually took a, a closer look at the stats of Torres, Frazier, and Sheffield. So go check that out on the site. Uh, the 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 Torres, everybody's talking about what position he's going to play. If Didi keeps projecting, uh, you know where he is, and he's he's done a, a good job so far. Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw two names at you and and tell me what they have in common. Alex Rodriguez. Cal Ripken Jr. Steroids. Okay. <laughs> I cannot say Cal Ripken Jr. did steroids, so stop it. Bite your oh, tongue. I got some Cal Ripken Jr. tidbits from that book if you want me okay. to throw them in right now. No, hold on. Let me get to my point first. The The point is, is these guys moved positions, and they did it just fine. The, 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 the fact of the matter is, if Glaber Torres is, is knocking down the door and he needs to come up, the Yankees will make a, make room for him. They will they will make it work some one way or another. Whether he needs to move positions is second base or third base, wherever it may be. If we're talking about a guy who's going to move position, we've talked about this ad nauseum, and I think this is something that that was predicted by by uh, Andrew and myself last year. That you know we I definitely think that Starlin Castro will move to third base at some point. I think that's that's a position that he could absolutely make. He's played short. He's been on the left side. He's got the you know the the lower half to be a third baseman. I think the kid is he's got a the natural. Junk in the trunk. He's got the junk. He's going to move over there. He's got the Adrian Beltre body, if you will. I, I think Labor Torres initially coming up. If Didi projects and still stays at this path and and is playing a, a good defensive shortstop like he does, um, the guy's a he's got a ridiculous arm. He's got great range. He makes. He makes the plays. He's uh, he's become a plus bat, in my opinion. Um, I think Labor Torres could start at second base. Now, does that mean he's not he's going to stay at second base? No, it does not mean that. I think this day and age, with all the shifting and all the moving around in the the field, it's so important for these guys to have experience on both sides of second base. Because if you are going to be moving around, whether it's a left-handed or right-handed bat, you may be positioned on, on either side. So you have to be comfortable with that. So I think the infielder of today is a lot more flexible with the position. And this week we saw on Instagram, we put out an, uh, an article about it. Again, one of our new guys, uh, Jared Saul, put out an article about the, the Instagram post that we saw Gliber Torres working with um, the, the, the one and only shortstop wizard, I can't think of his name right now. It's killing me. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> 
I really don't know who you're talking about. Uh, the Cleveland Indians, the shortstop. Oh, Omar Vizquel. Thank you. Jesus. Omar Vizquel. He was working with him in Miami, and uh, th- that's nothing but positive because I think everything that we've heard about Glaber offensively has been positive, but I think the one area that he has you know, uh, places to improve is at short or in the field. So the fact that he's working with a guy like Omar Vizquel, who is a freaking legend, um, one, speaks to his maturity and also speaks to the fact that he really does know that he needs to improve, work with the best, and, and gain some flexibility on the infield. So I'm not worried about it. Why are so Ooh. many Yankees fans so anxious to move Didi from shortstop? The dude hit 20 home runs and played a tremendous shortstop. The best defensive shortstop we've had since, like, 1990s Derek Jeter. Why are yeah. we so ready to move him from his position? He's 27, going to be 28 years old this year. He's still in his prime. Uh, he's just He just last year learned how to hit left-handed pitching also. I mean, this guy is... is, is tracking up it's it's he's he's a, a bit of a late bloomer in the sense where his his uh, prime is coming maybe a year or two late I, and that's probably because he hasn't had the opportunity i mean last year was really his first full year to go out there and and do something so um you know i i'm i i don't know i don't get that i really don't i mean I, i'm a i'm a dd fan big time and i love him off the field i love him on the field i think he's he's a he's a guy who has a, a long future with the yankees all right, you ready for my Cal Ripken Jr. stuff? Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm a little nervous on what you got with this one, though. Uh, it was um, it was they were talking about the 1990s uh, Baltimore Orioles and how that team was filled with a bunch of dogs who didn't really try hard. They would uh, dick around on on road trips. None of them would hustle out of the bases. They signed Albert Bell, who was a complete jackass, totally tore that team apart. And um, many people around the league wondered how come Cal Ripken Jr., a legend in Baltimore, couldn't be a glue in that clubhouse and bring that team together. And uh, it's, some people speculated that he actually liked his uh, his teammates acting like assholes because it, because it made him look tougher and more like a grinder. <laughs> so he was... He was he was actually... He wanted these guys to act up so he yes. looked better. Yes. It's like, you guys... Look at me, I'm going to play 2,500 consecutive games or whatever it was, and you can't even run hard to first base. You stink. But he wouldn't go and confront them about it. He would just complain about it to the media to make his – so he would look better. Yeah, this, it totally <laughs> sounds like someone just has sour grapes about Cal Ripken. It's like talking shit about uh, him. I, I, I don't know why I kind of dislike Cal Ripken, but I do. Yeah, I, I, I've always been a Cal Ripken fan for whatever reason. I, I think – I had an appreciation for him too because when I was a kid, I went to a, I actually went to a lot of games at Memorial as well before Camden Yards was even built. My stepmother is from Baltimore, so I was down there quite a bit, um, and I saw I saw I don't know fifty games at Memorial Stadium, and I saw a lot of Cal Ripken playing. Um, a lot of those were Yankee games, but I don't know. I've always had a respect for that guy. The fact that he was, you know, chasing Lou Gehrig's record, I think I think to me kind of put put him in a different place than any other player on another team if he took a day off in 1989 would he have been a legend i i don't know no well i mean th- it doesn't matter he didn't so it's a it's a moot point because he did how he was able to play all those games in a row sheer heart and determination <laughs> oh boy and a all lot right. of coffee a lot of coffee <clears throat> a lot of greenies yeah uh, all right what do we have next all right, so the next one is from Andrew in Connecticut. Who are some of the under 
under the radar triple A prospects who could have a big who could have this doesn't make sense. Okay. This is not me reading it. It was written incorrectly. So now I'm gonna read it correctly. <laughs> Cause it's written like a <laughs> I, and I think I you did I think I you did not, this on purpose. I did not. You did, did this not. on purpose. I've been on a very good roll reading things and you you, I, you put it on the screen like Ron Burgundy. Okay, so who are the, some of the under-the-radar AAA prospects who could have a big start to the year and come up kind of like Austin did last year? He said, second, I'm fairly new, so you may have addressed this. Any chance of doing more than one podcast per week? A lot happens over a week. Yes, it does. And yes, we do have plans for, one, uh, for more than one per week. We will not divulge those plans yet, but yes, there are plans in the works. Top secret. Top secret stuff. Um, <laughs> you are like Ron Burgundy. <laughs> um, so under the radar, AAA prospects who could have a big start to the year and come up is kind of interesting because I I don't I think last year uh, with Sanchez and Aaron Judge and obviously Tyler Austin um, and all the other contributors who came up, uh, the pitchers like Chad Green and everyone, there were more people to pick from. Now this team is so young that. A lot of those players are expected. I mean, there's not many under-the-radar prospects anymore on this team. Yeah, I think when you're talking about position players, you we pretty much know about a lot of the the guys that that have the potential of, of coming up and making some noise. Um, we have in the notes here that Keith Law Keith Law was a uh, is the guy who you know did the prospect rankings for ESPN and did a, uh, a, a there, in inside it there was a sleeper prospect for each team and the guy for the Yankees was Dustin Fowler. 22-year-old outfielder was a double-A. He has, you know, I think when you look at some of the projections, he's kind of like a 80 RBI, 20 steals, 20 home run type guy. Kind of similar to that, like, Clint Frazier mold, to tell you the truth, like where we project him to potentially be kind of an all-tools, a very toolsy guy. Um, it's can, kind of more like Ben Gamble 2.0. It, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's fair, definitely. Maybe a little bit more power than Ben Gamble. If we're talking about 20 home runs, but this is a, this is a guy definitely who has the athleticism, I think. And when we're talking about outfielders, the Yankees are, are chock full of athletic outfielders that are about to make a mark that are supposed to make a mark very soon. So uh, there's, there's a crowd, I think with that. And that's good because they're not all going to do it. So the fact that there's a lot of them means that we should be able to get two or three or one or two, however many of these guys to actually succeed and do well and, and come up to the Bronx and make an impact. So I, I think Dustin Fowler is, is the guy that that's probably the, the easiest one to say just because Keith Law already named it. But as far as... <laughs> well, before you move on, uh, yeah. a sleeper by nature means that he's he's somebody no one is expecting, right? Right. So, of course, I mean, he's gonna he's combing through these rosters, picking out names of players obviously he likes. He's not going to pick someone he dislikes. But it's always going to be a name that people have not heard of or else they wouldn't be a sleeper. Well, the other thing is, is that the, there are so many outfield prospects in, in AAA and who are already in the major leagues, you know, with Aaron Judge and... Um, uh, Frazier, uh, Rutherford. Frazier, Rutherford. Austin. Uh, there's Austin, there's, there's a... There's a lot of guys that that are right there, and the fact you're going down. Dustin Fowler played; uh, he was in Double A. You know that's that's further down the line. You're not going to be talking about him because there's so many people above him. Yeah, he also said Keith Law said that he might end up in the top 100 prospects next year if he has a good season. So I don't think he's someone that would that would impact the, the major league roster this year. But um, if he keeps progressing, and, and he is 22, so he's he's um, 
he's not young. He's not old, though. He's kind of right in that prime of of taking the next step prospect phase. Um, another guy that's interesting is uh, Billy McKinney, the, the other yeah. player they got from the Cubs. Um, he's older. I know he's been in, in the minors a lot longer. I think he's more like 25 years old, but he he's someone that the Cubs kind of just gave up on because they were tired of waiting for him. But he he could he, who knows what he'll do. Well, he's also a guy that was on the top 100 last year. He was in the top 100 prospects yeah, in, in right, baseball, like 70 or something. Yeah, and he uh, he was dealing with an injury. I forget what it was. I want to say it was an elbow or a knee or something along those lines. And last year was kind of a year where he was he was battling back from it. Uh, so, you know, if he's healthy and, and this kid is able to, to kind of capture the, the talent and, and really get to the projections where they thought he was going to be last year before the injury, that he's definitely an interesting guy to look at. Billy McKinney, for sure. That's, a, that's a definitely a good point. Uh, another guy in the outfield, again, these outfield is so deep. And I always forget about mentioning him, but it's Mason Williams. I mean, Mason Williams was a, was a, a high prospect coming through the Yankees, got hurt, and la- at the end of last year came up and made an impact, immediate impact in the major leagues. Mason Williams is one of the fastest guys in the in the Yankees farm system. I think he was the fast fastest guy until Jorge Mateo came around. Um, so they, you know, a foot race. I think we need in uh, in Tampa to to distinguish that in in real life. But he's one of these guys who was one of those. You know, he was one of the outfield prospects that we were waiting for him to come up and, and to be kind of one of those guys, one of those the next you know the next uh, chosen ones to come up and play in the Bronx. So he was in the there's Slade a lot Heathcott. of outfield guys. He was in the Slade Heathcott class. Yeah, and he and he was another guy who who didn't really work out, but it was a was uh was highly touted. So dude, there's a dude. lot of outfield. You remember the Slade Heathcott workout video? No, but I remember the Slade Heathcott game in no, Minnesota. You, you uh, Slade, oh yeah 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 yeah. You sent me a picture of it. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, every yeah, there were so <laughs> there were. All of the video, everybody knows about all the Instagram videos of all the Yankees players. I saw one randomly of Slade Heathcott on Instagram, and he was just like, it looked like he was taking a dump and like just sitting there and like in a, I don't know what he was doing. It was so sad. It, it was like, like planking in like the in like the shitting it was position. Like grainy footage. It was like the Zapruder, the Zapruder yeah. film of of Slade Heathcott. And it was just like hashtag out. hashtag grinding. No, some it was something ridiculous. In some oh. horseshit dump gym. Oh, I felt really bad. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was quite. It was definitely different from all the other all the other workout videos <laughs> that we've seen this year. Uh, that's pretty funny. I forgot about that actually. But yeah, so anyway, the bottom line is there's a lot of outfield uh, prospects. So I think when we're talking about being realistic and seeing any of these guys to come up this year to make an impact, I think you got to dip down and start looking at the pitchers because yeah. because pitchers one can make an impact out of the blue. I think you know just from looking at what Chase Adams did last year, this is a guy that that really wasn't you know on anybody's list or anybody's radar, but he had a phenomenal year. And I think sometimes pitchers. Are uh, can can bloom. Well, there's later. just more opportunities for them throughout the course of a season. Whether it's a rain out and you have a double header that you have to call a pitcher, a pitcher for, or if you have a, a no off days for a long time and you got to call up a six starter, the Scranton shuttle obviously opens up a lot of doors for pitchers. So there's just a lot more opportunity. Well, that also, but um, but I'm also even talking about the development in the minor leagues, even because you think of the the pitchers. Uh, that are that are coming up. Actually, a lot of them are drafted as position players and then are flipped and made pitchers. I mean, that happens quite often. And you're seeing some of these guys who come up and don't have a lot of time pitching, so they're still getting used to the position. And that's when I think you'll see a lot of these guys, you know, blossom later too. And 
there are some some guys like that I think that are in the Yankee system. A guy that that comes to mind from last year who had a really good 2016 is Dietrich Ends, who was in Double A and Triple A. I think he used uh, 12 games in Double A, 14 in Triple A, or vice versa. And I mean, the guy was throwing up some minuscule ERAs His in the stats ones. Pop off the page. Yeah, in the ones, and and this is a guy that doesn't throw hard. He's you know he's around ninety, and that's on a good day I think. But he's he's a Mike Mussina type where you know Mike, uh, Greg Maddox in the sense that he he locates his pitches. And we've talked about this on the show. And I you know I've I've mentioned how I'm a big fan of of the fact that if if a guy is is uh, is able to locate the ball, you're you're gonna see him project through the the different leagues more accurately because. You see a lot of these guys that come up that throw 100 miles an hour and then and then kind of fizzle off because that's what they have. They have the 100 miles an hour. But now when we're looking around the league, you look around at different teams, everybody has one or two of these guys who could throw high 90s. I mean, maybe even more than that. They have there's a lot more of these guys, so it's not as much of an asset anymore. But the guys who could locate are are truly the unique ones in my opinion. And those are the guys that can translate from league to league because if you can locate your pitches and you're you you have that pitcher's mentality and you can you can pitch to a you know be a smart pitcher then you really do have the opportunity to uh to take it to the next level you don't have to throw 95 to 100 miles per hour to be a good pitcher in the major leagues you do have to locate yeah chicks just don't dig the five three put out it's true they don't (laughs) but you know what it does it saves the arm it lowers the pitch count and it makes (laughs) it makes our bullpen even better Contact around the league has been down overall. Last year was the lowest it had been in a long time. I think since, I believe since the 80s, it was the lowest contact rate uh, across Major League Baseball. Home runs were up, but uh, contact and strikeouts were, or contact was down, strikeouts were up. So uh, that's because there's, like you said, so many power pitchers. I mean, if you threw 98 miles an hour back in 2002, you were the closer just because you threw 98 miles an hour. But now you got guys coming out in the sixth inning throwing 98 miles an hour. And I bet the corresponding stat with the fact that there's there's more uh, less contact, more home runs, more strikeouts is that you probably saw, I have no idea, but I'm just going to guess that the the average outing for a major league pitcher starter was was a lot lower as well because you're going to be throwing a lot more pitches. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of so the fact that if you have guys who can who can locate and pitch to contact uh, you know, within, you know, to their strengths, whether it's at Yankee Stadium and you're throwing ground ball, you know, you're a ground ball pitcher. Those are the guys that can that can really, you know, save a bullpen who can uh, who can who can help out their team in, in different ways. And a lot of that stuff doesn't show up on stats or saber metrics and all that crap. That whole contact thing and pace of play. Did you see that uh, baseball uh, executives proposed to the players union uh, new rules for the strike zone? No, I haven't seen it. Well, I, it's one of them that they're trying they propose getting rid of the intentional walk which i feel like has been on the table for like 10 years at this point what's that going to take off 45 seconds a game who gives a shit not after gary Sanchez. what gary sanchez did <laughs> that's uh, true it's uh, true uh, we're gonna uh, see we're gonna miss those kind of plays um, yeah but uh actually raising the strike zone from the bottom of the knees to the top of the knee um to encourage <laughs> to encourage more to, because because guys don't have their own damn strike zone anyway it's so stupid to encourage more contact so it'll be a you, quicker, you look at the Amer- you look at the american league compared to the national league the umpires the, the strike zones are so so very different 
when you watch a National League game, the games go faster because the strike zones are, I mean, they're, it seems like they're like three feet bigger. It really does when you're watching those games because the, the strike zone in the American League is tight. And I think if there's something that they're going to talk about, let's just open up the strike zone a little bit. Let's be a little bit more liberal with the strike zone and call those those corner pitches the a only, lot more often. I don't give a shit about the strike zone. The only way these games are going to get quicker is, is if they institute an actual pitch clock. But they're not the going to do it. the only way. Okay, well, then they're not serious about it then. If they really want to shave off some minutes on these games, 20-second pitch clock, and if it goes over, it's a ball. And it's a big red light right over the dugout. Oh, it's so and it's dumb. A I siren. everything about it. So, oh, the, so if the pitcher doesn't throw that ball after 20 seconds, the whole freaking stadium hears about oh, it. It's like the baseball purist's nightmare. It's the, right. such a okay, disgusting I mean, thing. I'm going to watch baseball, whether it's a two-hour and 40-minute game or a three-hour and 10-minute game. So I don't really give a crap. I'm going to watch regardless. All it's going to do is shorten my night a few minutes. But the thing I don't understand is why are people not crying about all the other sports that are ridiculously long now? Because I they mean, all have clocks. Football, but they're all hockey, long. But, it it does, they're all, but there's every, still any an professional game is a three hour game. Yes, it's just, I that's, know. But there's an end point. You know, after the fourth quarter runs out, the game is over. Yeah, there might be overtime, but that also has a clock on it. There's no clock in baseball. It could go forever. That just means people are stupid and they have to see something that, that's appeasing okay, you're sa- their, okay. their, their mental clock. We've discovered that society is stupid. Groundbreaking okay, no, it's just another Bronx pinstripe show. <laughs> yeah, it's just another kick in the ass. We're all dumb. Everybody's dumb and they have to see a clock in order to say, oh, this is faster. But no, it's not. It's not faster because halftime was 45 minutes long. All right, well, uh, you know, Lady Gaga. Unbelievable. Yeah. <sighs> you ready for the final question? It's a game from sock therapy after we asked for it last week. Good Lord. I hope it's, I hope it's less complex. There's <laughs> neither 10 clues. So no. All right. Sock therapy says, who am I? Clue number one. I spent my whole career with the Yankees. Clue two. I racked up the second most triples in Yankees history with 154 as a Yankee. Clue three, I rank third in career batting average with the Yankees with a 325 lifetime average among qualified players. Clue four, I rank 66 in career home runs with the Yankees with 58. That's 58 home runs, not that many. Clue five, I racked up the seventh most runs in Yankees history with 1,186. That is a lot of runs. Clue six, I racked up the ninth most singles in Yankees history with 1,345 and 14th most doubles with 309. Do you have any clue who this is so far? Nope. <laughs> clue seven. I'm in the Baseball Hall of Fame, but for some reason my number is not retired by the Yankees. So stop there. That's the one that threw me off. I'm looking at that, and I'm, and I'm thinking about people who are in the Hall of Fame. Yankees who are in the Hall of Fame, and they're not retired. Yeah, because they, they retire anyone's number. Well, yeah, that's pretty obvious now. And this guy, whoever is, whoever, whoever, uh, I can't say anything. But yeah, that's uh. <laughs> That, that was the clue that, that, that really threw me off. Clue number eight, despite only playing 11 years in baseball, I won nine World Series. So this That's clue stupid. is what got my gears spinning because 11 years in baseball is not that many. So you figure, okay, he went to yeah. war. But, and he won nine World Series. Well, nine World Series pretty so, much gave it away too. So, okay, he was either playing in the 20s with Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig or he yeah. was playing in the 40s with Joe DiMaggio and then maybe he had a World Series with Mickey Mantle. So you knew it was in that time frame. Right. <clears throat> Clue number nine. After I retired, I spent nearly two decades coaching. I coached with the Yankees for nine years and I taught my replacement, who turned out to be an all-time great like myself, about fielding in Yankee Stadium. After leaving the Yankees, I coached for a couple other teams, including the Boston Red Sox. 
Clue number 10. I am one of the all-time Yankee greats, but my name but my name is often forgotten. Who am I? So okay. do you have a guess? Yeah, so I had so uh I had zero guess. I could not <laughs> think of a name <laughs> to, to actually guess that that was that I knew was not wrong. Because like right, the, people right, right. that people you know what I mean, like people came to my mind, uh, uh but you knew it wasn't but, right. But I knew they weren't right, and I could not think of a name that was that that actually fit the bill. So number nine, uh, after sick, af- after the um, the clue about not world, being in the Hall of Fame, the like the series. rest of the ones, yeah, the rest of the clues from then on, like narrowed it down for me. Like I knew who number nine, I knew who nine was, I, I knew the guy who who, because I, I I narrowed down the time frame. I'm like, okay, well, if there's somebody after him who who um, was an all-time great, then I, I'm like, okay, immediately I'm thinking DiMaggio. That's who I'm thinking of, of is the guy that succeeded him. Yeah, you're smart. I didn't, I, I didn't think about that clue close enough, having an all-time great follow him, because my guess was Joe Gordon, and Joe Gordon is incorrect. And I remember yeah. Joe Gordon got into the Hall of Fame kind of recently on the Players vo- uh, Association <clears throat> vote, and he was a second baseman for the Yankees. I, he played sometime I knew in the war era, and he had a lot of stats, but nothing really popped out. So you're like, all right, maybe the Yankees wouldn't retire his number because he wa- he was a good player, but not a great player. And then he just kind of got into the Hall of Fame because he's one of those guys that the Players Association loved. But it was not Joe Gordon. You ready the for guy, it? The, yeah, real quick. The guy that I kept going back to that was like, there was, there was the guy I just kept thinking of was Bill Dickey. He was the one that just kept popping into my head. And I think Catcher, it's because... But- but, but he was in the Hall of Fame, and he's and, he's retired. Yeah. So that's what that threw me off for that. But he was the guy that that kept coming to my mind, like because okay, then Yogi this might be followed. It. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, and I could not think of who played center field before DiMaggio, so I had no guess. But it's the like, center fielder before DiMaggio, and the clue that kind of gave it away is fielding in Yankee Stadium because. Other than center field at Yankee Stadium back then with the monuments, what would have been so difficult about fielding Yankee Stadium? You're just playing a regular position. You're playing first base. You're playing catcher. It's, that's normal. But yeah. center field was weird. So right. the answer, drum roll please, is <laughs> Earl Coombs. Combs. Combs. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. This guy's got no respect. No respect. No, I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not sure. That's the thing. Why? Why don't we all know his name? Like, look, I think his name has come across, and we've all heard his name. I, I could not remember it. I literally said it. And I'm like, oh, never in a million years would have gotten that. But I knew it was the center fielder before DiMaggio. That I was confident, but I could not think of the name. But so, why? And that's <clears> so interesting. So, Sock, I appreciate us playing this game because now I'm gonna learn a lot more about. Earl Combs and find out more about this okay, guy. But I got I got a uh, phonetic uh, pronunciation. On it. It's Coombs. Coombs. Okay, Earl Coombs. Why is he not retired? Why is that the so case? It's kind of a trick question because he who wore, knows that he wore number one for the Yankees and number one is retired retired twice. Man, isn't it? Oh no, no, no. It's eight retired, is retired once. Twice. Eight retired twice. Billy Martin's one is retired once. Yeah. Eight retired twice. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. So uh, maybe you should give us the answer to that too, <laughs> or or burnt out attorney, whoever whoever wants to take this one. He played in the <laughs> help us young bucks out. He played in the twenties with the Murderers Row teams. Yeah, that that I I got with the uh, with the nine World Series. I, as soon as I heard that, I'm like, okay, Murderers Row. You know, I can sense maybe there'll be a rivalry between Sock Therapy and Empire Esquire. They they both could seem be. like stats history buffs. Yeah, there, there very well could be. But so he was setting up Lou Gehrig basically through the whole time, and now he's really not a, a household name for Yankees fans at all. 
Why? What do you mean he was setting up Lou Gehrig? He was, wasn't he, uh, I think I, I read somewhere that he was, uh, he was uh, hitting before Lou Gehrig no, in the lineup. No, uh, uh, Babe Ruth was. Babe Ruth was three. Or he Lou was, Gehrig, a, you mean behind protecting? No, who was hitting two? Oh, I don't know. That's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, who was hitting two? Who was on first? What's on second? Yeah, I'm saying who was, who was on base? Like these guys were, were setting the plate. Is, is what I meant. Table he was setters. one of the guys setting the plate. The old table, table setters. The table setters. The, the window my, throws. He was the, the 1927 version of Brett Gardner. <laughs> yes. Well, how many stolen bases did he have? That's what I'm looking at. Um, but yeah, no, that was, that was, a, that was a good one. That was it a was good a good one. one. I, and it know, went much very, smoother than the last game we played. I think because we cheated a little bit. We both looked at it. Or I, I cheated. No, so. I didn't cheat to, the, I didn't cheat to the, the fact that I looked before I thought a. I just looked beforehand so we'd have a smooth recording of it. I wrote down a guess and then I looked. Yeah. I had zero guess. <laughs> I just didn't have one. I couldn't. So think I of at anybody. least maybe would have gotten partial credit. You would have you would have got a big fat zero. Oh no, you got a zero also. Definitely. Sorry, but you know, there's no participation ribbons in this game. <laughs> All right. Thank you to everyone who submitted mailbag questions. If you want to submit mailbag questions, go to bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. You can tweet us. At Yankees Podcast, at Bronx Pinstripes, at Scott Reinen, at Andrew underscore Rotondi. Call the voicemail line 646-480-0342. Once again, that uh, fan shop promo code is Godzilla in honor of Hideki Matsui. Scott, any last words before we get out of here and before next week is pitchers and catchers? Uh, nothing about the current Yankees, but I do want someone to shed some light on Will Coons and why. Who did he sleep with? Why is he not being recognized by the New York Yankees? There's got to be a story. Let's get to it. Let's find out next week on Yankees. All right, have a good week. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.